encourage you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. About a month ago, I preached a sermon here on the value of Scripture as found in Psalm 19. If you were not here, we considered together that the Bible, being the written, inspired word of the living God, is of inestimable value. It is incomprehensible riches to us. It is complete. It is sure. It is right. It is pure. It is clean. It is true. It is perfect. It is entirely sufficient to complete fulfillment of the task for which it has been given. And that is to inform and bring about all things pertaining to life and godliness. This is everything that we need to live a life of godliness. If you were here on the off chance that that sermon was not a life-changing experience for you, this morning I would like to try to provide you with some motivation, not just to further appreciate the, the inestimable value that we have in front of us, but to dig and to take the wealth that you extract from the word of God and to turn it into working capital that will grow into a spiritual fortune in your life and in the next one. We are in a tight economy. None of us can afford to have our wealth sitting around doing nothing. So, Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. 
then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, before I get into this message, I just want to confess to you that I recognize I have nothing of value to say that you have not already said. So I pray this morning that you would speak, that you would help me to clarify, to magnify, to proclaim what it is that you have already said. I pray that this message would settle on each of our hearts that it would bring us conviction that we are accountable for what you have entrusted to us. Father, I pray that this message would produce a lifetime of interest to your glory, times the number of lives of people who are in this room. Father, we seek to bring you our glory and our worship this morning, and we confess our sinfulness to you. I pray that you would enable each of us to be eager, willing, and capable stewards of the talents that you have given to us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are jumping into the book of Matthew near the end. We are in the middle of a discourse that Jesus is teaching, and so we need to begin by orienting ourselves toward the lesson that he is preaching to us. He begins, for it is just like a man about to go on a journey. What is, what is it? What is like a man about to go on a journey? If we go back to verse 1 of chapter 25, we see another parable, and Jesus begins, then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins. And he tells this parable about five women who are prepared for their master's return and five women who are not. We're talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. But it is important for us to recognize that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God can be used in a couple of different ways. First of all, the kingdom of heaven can refer to the dominion of God in Christ, generally, and it can refer to a couple of different things specifically. First of all, the kingdom of God can, can refer to the invisible body of all redeemed people throughout time. That is, the universal church in its pure, exclusive sense. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. In that sense, we are talking about saved people exclusively. Or he says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. In Matthew 25, verse 34, he's talking about the final judgment. And uh, the goats who are gathered on his left will be cast into eternal judgment. And the sheep who are gathered on his right will enter into the kingdom of God. That is eternal bliss and fellowship with God. It can also refer to God's people as we see them. That is, made up of both believers and unbelievers. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 through 9, 
Jesus tells the parable of the sower. A man goes out to sow seed and he scatters some here and some there. And some of the seed falls on good soil and that is productive. And some seed falls on the road or among the rocks or among the thorns and it is not productive. It is not good. And in chapter 10, after telling, excuse me, uh, verse 10, after uh, telling this parable, the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. He applies this term, the kingdom of heaven, to the parable of the sower in which there is clearly good seed and unproductive seed. So, The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like a man about to go on a journey. Now, since we are talking about the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is clearly referring to himself here. He is the man about to go on a journey. And the journey is the time between his first advent on earth and his second coming. In John 16, 16, Jesus tells his disciples clearly, a little while and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. I'm going away for a while, but I'll be back. And this man who is about to go on his journey called his own slaves. Now, we have a deeply ingrained aversion to slavery in our modern American context. America itself was born out of rebellion against tyrannical rule. Now, the the morality of the American Revolution is a subject for a different sermon. But we do need to be self-aware enough to admit that as red-blooded, freedom-loving Americans, it can be difficult for us to stomach even rightful rulers sometimes when we feel like they are stepping out of line. I think back to 2016 when Donald Trump was elected president of the United States. What was the phrase you started hearing all the time? Not my president, right? And lest we should think that this is uh, a Democrat issue, when Joe Biden was elected, I was hearing the same thing. This is an American issue. And that is not to mention the actual slavery that has occurred in, in American history with all of the growing pains and the fallout that have come from that since its ending with the Civil War. We look back on that as a dark time in American history. And we rightfully denounce all of the Uh, the horrific evils that men and women have committed against each other in the master-slave relationship. But it is key to understanding this parable to recognize that we are the slaves in this story. If we miss that, if we try to minimize its importance, the significance of this parable will very quickly disappear. Jesus could have said, the kingdom of God is like a man about to go on a journey who called his own friends or who called his business partners or who called his financial managers. If he had done that, that would, that would make this a very confusing parable. The man's trust would be confusing. The activities of the slaves would be subject to their own whim. And the master's response when he returned would be morally questionable at best, particularly as it pertains to the third slave. Jesus is not careless in his illustration. The kingdom of God is not like any of those things. It is like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves. And that implies a few things that are important for us to come to terms with. Number one, 
this man entrusted his possessions to them. This is not a gift. It's not a bonus. It's not a paycheck. This is an assignment. What has been entrusted is a stewardship that the slaves have a responsibility to manage, but to which the master retains full ownership. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Now, technically, a talent is a unit of weight, the contents of which could vary. If you look at 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 14, you will see the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So the contents of this are somewhat undefined. But Jesus' audience probably understood that he was referring to a standard investment unit here, which would imply an amount of silver coins worth about 15 years' wages. Each talent would be about 15 years' wages. But the point is not that each slave is given according to a standard. The point that Jesus is making is each slave is given something different. Not everyone gets to start from the same place. Now, there is a philosophy out there that claims that this is somehow inherently unjust. Um, it's, it's unfair that some people are born rich and others poor. It's unfair that some have advantages and others disadvantages. Something needs to be done about it. Let me say to you, this is a godless philosophy rooted in jealousy, ingratitude, and entitlement. It was brought to my attention this week that Karl Marx said, from each according to his ability to each according to his need. The idea is even distribution of wealth. Everybody needs the same start. And if everybody can't have the same start, at least the same middle and the same end. Well, Jesus says here, from the one who owns everything to each according to his ability. The slave master owns all of the talents, and he has the right to do with them what he wants. And it's not our job to rearrange what the master has distributed through legislation. Now, I don't want to get bogged down talking about social issues here. But as an aside, someone might stop me here and say, well, you're twisting scripture to avoid social responsibility. You hate poor people. Um, I would like to make clear that I am not commenting on charity or on social responsibility at all right now. What I am doing here today is looking at this text and drawing from it here that the master has the right to do with his own things what he wills. And from this text, I am saying he does so. So to assert that there is something inherently wrong with variation in people's starting points in life implies something about the character of the one who ordains these things. Be careful. As we will see in a moment, that is a dangerous thing to do. The slave owner gives a trust to his slaves, each according to his own ability. I have five children who are all in various stages of learning to ride a bike right now. If you were to come to my house and we were to line up all of the bikes, you could tell which bike belongs to which kid. The biggest bike belongs to the biggest kid. Lily has a, a bike that is actually bigger than the rest. Shiloh's bike is a little bit smaller than Lily's, and it's got tassels hanging off the handlebars. Mara's bike is the same size as Shiloh's, but it has training wheels on it. 
And Uriah has just upgraded from a little Strider bike to a cool Spider-Man bike, and it also has some training wheels on it. Now, when we go to the soccer complex to walk and the kids get to ride their bikes, Knox gets to ride in the wagon. I haven't... Now, someone might come to, to my house and, and look at all the bikes and say, well, that's not fair. How do you, why do you love Lily more than Knox? How is he ever going to learn to ride a bike if he doesn't have the same opportunity that Lily has? Well, I haven't picked out Harleys for any of my kids, and that's because I love them, and I would rather let them make mistakes with small things so that when they have bigger things, they have some wisdom to go along with them. My hope is that scraped knees now will help them to avoid broken necks later. It would be criminally negligent of me to turn any of my girls loose on a motorcycle. They're not ready for that yet. It would be mean-spirited for me to take the, the training wheels off of Uriah's bike and put him on and say, all right, go ride. It would certainly be unloving for me to put Knox on a bike at all. He's not ready. Many times... We assume, if I, if I just had more, I could make more, I could do more, I could be more generous. If I had a better car, if I had a bigger paycheck. How often do we consider that I have as much as I can manage? If you want a gut check that will make you thankful that you don't have more than you do, Google lottery winners who lost it all and start reading. I found over six million results for that search criteria. Having more than we can handle will ruin our lives. It's a good thing. It is to our benefit that we are given each according to his own ability. Nonetheless, each slave is given responsibility to manage something. And that, ne- that reality necessitates a response So we have the the response of the slaves in verses 16 through 18. There are only two responses. The first, immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them. He goes out and he gets busy. And notice the the second slave, though given less, has the same response as the first. The one who had received the two talents gained two more in the same manner. And there are two elements of this response that we need to notice. Number one, the word immediately. Immediately, the first slave went and traded. Now, that implies a certain enthusiasm. This slave was eager to seize the opportunity to put his responsibilities to use and to gain a profit for his master. The second element is that he traded with them. The first slave engaged in a process of buying and selling. He didn't win the lottery. He didn't gamble. He didn't make one good investment, get rich quick, and then take the rest of the time off. He put the money to work. He caused it to labor over time, and he diligently busied himself with its management. He was industrious, and the amount of profit he made suggests that he engaged himself either until his master returned or until he had ensured his own success. It is not easy to double any amount of money, but he put in the work to double five talents, and the second slave acted in the same manner. 
Now, before we move on to our second response, I want to talk to you about motivation. Why do the first slaves, the first two slaves behave the way that they do? Why do they work so hard, immediately, diligently, to gain a profit for someone else? We have to speculate a little bit here because we aren't told explicitly. But in this parable, there are contrasts that are clearly being drawn between the first two slaves and the third slave. And I think if we look at this context, we can make some safe inferences. First of all, there is no indication that these two expected to profit from their business ventures. We've already established that the capital belongs entirely to the master. He did not promise them a share in any of the profits. He didn't give them any sort of incentive to work hard as far as we can tell. They just did it. They didn't do it for the reward or for the money. But if we contrast the first two slaves with the third, I think we will notice two major differences. Number one, they understand their role. The role of a slave is to work for his master. It's what he does. If a slave is not working at his assigned tasks, what is he for? And number two, in contrast to the third slave, I believe these two men love their master and they want him to grow in wealth and prestige. There is reward in being associated with something bigger than yourself. That's why a lot of people do charity work or community service. And it's why a faithful slave works hard for his master. The slave is elevated by his master's prestige, maybe not, maybe not personally, but by association. And the second slave responded in the same manner also. But we have another response. He who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. The second response is that the third slave took what he was given and buried it. Now, we want to be fair to this slave. He didn't lose it. He didn't destroy it. He didn't give it away. What he did do is that he ignored it completely. And, and again, we want to be, we want to be honest with this slave. We want to be fair to him. Uh, it, it is clear from this text that he does this for safekeeping. His goal is, I'm just going to hang on to that. And we can tell that's his motivation because in verse 19, after a long time, and in verse 25, he still has it, and he goes and gets it and says to his master, see, you have what is yours. The problem is not that this slave lost money. It's not that he made bad investments. It's that he made no investments at all. He ignored his charge, apparently believing that he would not be held accountable for it. So let's, again, talk motivation. In this case, we do know why the slave behaves the way that he does. He tells us himself, verse 24, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, and I was afraid. This slave does not think well of his master. He accuses him of being a hard man who doesn't work for what he has. That is, he is cruel, he is harsh, he is strict, he is merciless, and he's lazy. This man has a disdain for the character of his master. And what's more, by all appearances, he's wrong. He's wrong in his evaluation. If we go back to verse 14, it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves. 
One author says the word idius translated his own there. His own with slaves may be intended to highlight the master's action here as unusual. One would normally make investment arrangements for a period of absence in other ways. These slaves are being treated with particular distinction. The need to call the slaves already distinguishes the master-slave interaction in this parable from that of any of the other parables. Elsewhere, the slaves are simply there to be spoken to and, as necessary, directed to call other people. In other words, the slave master does something unusual here. He's given these slaves responsibility above and beyond what might be expected, and he has given them an unusual opportunity to distinguish themselves. This is a generous man, and we'll see in a moment that he is also generous with rewards for his faithful slaves. Not only does this slave not think well of his master, he does not know him. Those are the only two responses. A slave is profitable or he is not. He is useful or he is useless. He is an asset or he is taking up space. He is obedient to his master or he is a rebel. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. When the slave owner left, he didn't tell his slaves how long he would be gone. And he was gone for a long time. The master does not owe the slaves an account of his activities. It is his prerogative to keep that to himself. And it is the slave's role to mind their own business and carry on with their work. Sometimes my wife will go out for a few hours to run some errands, to meet with a lady from the church, or just to get away for a while. I don't run my house the same way that my wife does, and I don't run it as well when she's gone as when she's present. But often late at night she'll call me after the kids are in bed and say, hey, sorry, it's so late, I'm on my way home. And then it's on. I know I've got about 20 minutes to clean six rooms and I need to get this place back in order before my wife gets home. On the other hand, if she just shows up in the driveway and doesn't tell me beforehand, hey, I'm on my way, sometimes she sees how things really are when she's not at home. Most of the time she texts me, I think, for that reason. But if the evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when he does not know. If the slaves know when the master is returning, they may behave much differently than if they know if they do not know. Let me tell you, the return of the master is unpredictable, but it is certain. Be ready. Be diligent. The faithful slaves are rewarded for their efforts. Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. Now, the slaves have no right to, to expect reward. They have done simply what they are expected to do. But again, their master is a generous man, and he gives each of these two a three-part reward. First is commendation. Verses 21 and 23 read the same way, addressed to uh, each of these two slaves. The first part is commendation. Well done, good and faithful slave. Now that's a simple thing, but if you have ever done a good day's work and had it acknowledged, you recognize this can go a long way. 
feels good to be acknowledged when you've done good work. The faithful slave will be acknowledged by his master. Second, these two slaves are given additional opportunity. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Stewardship is not an issue of circumstances. It's an issue of character. These two slaves demonstrate trustworthy character so the master knows he can give them more responsibility, more opportunity, and the prestige that comes with being trusted by their master. And the third part of the reward, enter into the joy of your master. In this life, we have a foretaste of joy. We can appreciate good things. We experience the blessings that God grants. But it is a joy that is often interrupted by loss, grief, anger. Our own sinfulness often interrupts our joy. Imagine then the joy of Revelation 20 and 21. Comprehend eternal joy that is never interrupted. Imagine your sinfulness being completely and permanently removed from you and and that moment where you recognize your own sinfulness is gone forever. What a day that will be when our joy is made complete. The faithful slave will rejoice sharing in the joy of his master. And the unfaithful slave will be rewarded according to his labors. His first reward is rebuke. Verse 26, the master replies to him, you wicked, lazy slave. Ironically, this is essentially the same charge that this slave leveled at his master. Verse 24, master, I knew you to be a hard man a harsh man, a cruel man, an unforgiving man, a wicked man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Master, I knew you to be wicked and lazy. And the master turns to him and says, you wicked, lazy slave. The second reward of the unfaithful slave is a forced reckoning with his wrongdoing. The master says, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. This is not an admission of guilt on the part of the master. It really probably would translate better into English as a question. Did you know that I reap where I do not sow and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. You are wrong in your evaluation You were wrong in your activities, and this is how you should have behaved. A third part of the reward of the unfaithful slave is that he will have no choice but to acknowledge where he went wrong and what he should have done. His flimsy excuses will be dashed away, and he will be embarrassed in front of his master and his peers. And finally, the unfaithful slave will be thrown out. Verses 28 to 30. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But for the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is a determinative amount of meaning in these verses. So we need to understand clearly what is being taught here. 
And this will help us to understand in which sense Jesus is using that phrase, the kingdom of God. First of all, what he has is taken away. The wicked slave has his talent taken away. This man was given resources and proved himself unfaithful. He squandered his opportunity to please his master. So what is taken away is further opportunity for stewardship, for fellowship with the master. It is too late. His opportunity is over. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. This is not that he loses his one measure of salvation and it's given to the man who is ten times as saved as he was, whatever that may mean. This is a person who was never saved. He may have lived in the master's house. He certainly benefited from the master's generosity, but when it comes down to it, he doesn't know the master. He accused him of being hard and lazy, and ultimately we see that this man gives no service to the master. Maybe he assumed that because he was born in the master's house, he belonged there. Maybe he thought he was entitled to be there because it's where he spent a lot of his time. Maybe he thought he could blend in with the other slaves and piggyback off of their hard work. The master rejects that kind of slave. And if that is the master's verdict, then the slave has no recourse for appeal. And so he is thrown out into outer darkness. There are two kinds of people who will be there in the outer darkness. There are those who are weeping. Those are the ones who will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, says the Lord, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. These people thought they were on the right track. They were living their lives to serve the Lord. But in reality, they did not know him. And all of their hard work was for nothing. And so they are undone. They are weeping that they have fallen short of God's glory through salvation in Christ. Then there are those who gnash their teeth. These are people who are not surprised to find themselves under God's wrath. They gnash their teeth at at God in anger because they know God and they hate him. Their rage against God is hardened by his judgment of them. And the time when they could have softened their hearts and repented is gone. And all they have left is anger over their judgment forever. There are two kinds of slaves. There are two responses to what God in his grace and mercy has given. And there are two outcomes. If we're honest, the imagery in this parable probably makes us a little bit uncomfortable. Our cultural context makes it difficult to fully embrace the slavery motif and apply it to ourselves. It shouldn't. Perhaps you've heard me say before, we are by nature limited in our freedom in all kinds of ways. We are limited to a body. We can only be in one place at a time. We are limited by a bank account. We can freely choose to do all kinds of things, but when our money runs out, we have some limitations. By physics, by all kinds of things. And we don't choose most of the limitations that are imposed on us. Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 6, verse 16, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death 
or of obedience resulting in righteousness. This is an interesting dynamic. We have the option to choose our slavery. We're free to choose our slavery in Christ. So choose. Will you be a slave to obedience resulting in righteousness or to sin resulting in death? Now at this point, maybe you're thinking, well, that's some fine exposition. We got some theology out of this. We get a lot of theology here at Daniel's Bible Church, but I mostly already knew there are saved people and unsaved people. What do I do with it? What are, what are the talents that I've been given and, and what kind of parabolized prophet am I supposed to make off of them? Well, it would be impossible for me to stand here and address every specific circumstance of every one of our lives, but let me see if I can at least help to try to point you in the right direction. When it comes to an investment, first of all, you need some capital. What capital do you have? Take stock of what you've been given. Do you spend your money in a God-honoring way? I don't think that this, this parable is actually about physical money, but the way that we manage our money is an indicator of our character and of where our affection lies. Do you have a husband, a wife, children, friends, Are you investing in those relationships in a way that gives God glory? Or are you ignoring your charges? Do you mostly leave God out of your conversations and go about your business? Last month, we discovered that if you have access to the word of God, you have been entrusted with incomprehensible riches. Here's a start. The second part of an investment is an opportunity. What opportunities do you have not too long ago, I was listening to a talk by Sarah Malley. If, if you don't know who that is, that's okay. She's a Christian speaker. Um, she often works with her sister and her brother. And she was on her way to uh, an event, and she described this time where she's sitting in an airport on her way to an event, and she wasn't feeling her best, and, and she said, I really just wanted to be left alone. So I'm sitting here in this airport chair, hoping that nobody comes up and talks to me. And meanwhile, her sister Grace is going around the terminal just talking to people and handing out gospel tracts. And Sarah said, it struck me in that moment that I had been praying for an opportunity to make an impact for the kingdom of God. And when it came down to it, I was just hoping everybody would leave me alone. And here's my sister going around actually creating opportunities for herself, talking to people, handing out gospel tracts, doing work for the kingdom of God. What opportunities do you have? Are you looking for it? Are you going out trying to make opportunities? Or are you praying for opportunity and silently hoping that nobody will come talk to you? Then there are the rewards of faithful service and of investment. Now, there are two pitfalls that I want you to be aware of and to avoid as we are beginning to come away from this parable. The first one is fear. Fear can paralyze us. I like to think that I do good work when I set my mind to something, my my grades, my work, um, the activities that I engage in, but I will confess to you there are a number of projects around my house that I have not started, and it's because I I really don't know what to do. Um, I've done a lot of home improvement projects over the last few years, and I'll say this. uh, My wife is more of a go-getter 
she's the one that will start the project. I might go to work one day and and uh, come home from work and find out that the drywall in a particular part of the house is gone. I guess I got to do this now. Um, as that occurs, I will tell you from the various projects that I have done, it is. I often realize when I am in the project, it's easier than I thought it would be. You just got to get started and learn as you go. Learn by doing. Don't let fear stop you from starting the project, from making the investment, from stepping out in faith. The master knows his slaves. He knows their capabilities, and he has given resources each according to his own ability. God does not expect more from you than you are capable of doing. Trust him and do. The second pitfall that we need to avoid is that of apathy or jealousy. Some might notice that the slave who made the two talents got the same reward as the slave who made five and be tempted and be tempted to settle. Why bother striving for the spiritual max if doing just enough will get me in the door? Or to put it the other way, how is it fair that I can spend my whole life doing faithful ministry and somebody like a, a drug addict or a criminal or the thief on the cross can make a confession at the last moment of life and slip in the door and get the same reward as me? If that is your takeaway from this parable, you're missing the point. This parable is not about the numbers. It's about the heart. So check yours. Sometimes my kids come to me and they say, it's not fair. My response to them is, you don't want fair. Fair would not work out in any of our favor. If you struggle with this, I encourage you to read Fox's Book of Martyrs. You're right. It's not fair that any of us in this room should get the same reward as any of our brothers and sisters who have been tortured and brutally murdered for their faithfulness to Christ. But our Lord, our God, is gracious and merciful to allow us into the same realm of rewards as them. Finally, that third slave made some excuses. Don't make excuses. There are none that will hold up when we are called to reconcile accounts with the master. I didn't like you. I was afraid. I didn't know how. That will not hold up. The master's return is unpredictable, but it is certain. And you will be called to account and demonstrated either to be a good and faithful slave or a wicked and lazy one. There's a lot here. At the same time, maybe you're unsure about a specific circumstance in your life or generally how to get started investing in your spiritual life. If that's you, I would be happy to talk to you more deeply about these things. And I know that Pastor Carl and Dave and Richard and others in this church would be as well. Just come ask. I'd love to get together with you. We can engage in some discipleship or counseling or whatever it is that you need. May God grant all of us faithfulness, each according to his own ability. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this can feel like a heavy charge that we are required to go out and to increase, to take what you have given us and to make more of it. But Father, as we consider that, I pray that you would strengthen our hearts knowing that really we are not responsible for the results. We're responsible to be faithful. 
We thank you that you have not given us more than we can handle. We thank you that you are with us through all of life's troubles. And we thank you that what you have in store for us is so much greater than what we have now. Father, I pray that you would bless each one of us with peace, with confidence, and with renewed vigor to invest what you have given us to your honor and glory. I pray that you would help each one in this room to recognize and to attain the fullness of the ability that you have given to us. We pray these things to your honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.